to the podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. Well, good evening again, everybody. You doing all right today? My name is Glenn Packham. I'm the pastor here at Sunday night. Normally I would say that in joy time, but Greg did a fabulous job with joy time. Sunday morning they watched this like video. We don't do a lot of video stuff Sunday night, so we have talking people, lots of talking people. <laughs> we think that's better than video. I don't know if it, you'll agree, but that's what we do. Um, here we are in our Luke series, part 27 by my count, but hey, I haven't always been right. Um, and we're, we're in Luke 14, which is maybe an easier way to tell you where we are in Luke. Um, and so if you can flip over in your Bibles to Luke 14. Um, one of the great things about living in Colorado, are, in addition to all the outdoors stuff and all that, is all the great uh, pro sports teams that we have here. And um, yeah, it's really a wonderful thing. I have a, a good friend that I've known now for G nine years or so, and his dad has season tickets to Broncos games. And uh, when I found that out, we became better friends. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. But, um, but seriously, he's taking me to the game tomorrow night, and I'm pretty excited about that. And, uh, you know, every year your seats get bumped up closer and closer the longer you renew your season ticket. Uh, apparently, this is how it works. Well, so, so he told me the other day that his, the seats that we were going to get tomorrow night, that his, da- his, his dad's seats uh, that we were going to get tomorrow night, uh, are now, they've now been upgraded so close that they're actually on the fourth row. I know. Now, it could be the fourth row behind like a goalpost. But, hey, it's the fourth row. And, uh, and, and I'm just grateful because I think this will be the closest I've ever sat in a professional sporting event uh, legally. <laughs> and I, we are confessing our sins tonight. And so just thought I would tell you that I have gone to a Denver Nuggets game. And, and if you've anyone ever been to a Nuggets game, sometimes you can get like $10 tickets or $5 tickets, whatever, especially if they're playing like, the, I don't know, the Golden State Warriors or some... Uh, miserable excuse for a team. No, and, and, and just <laughs> whew, um, more to confess. Um, so you go to the, you know, you can get cheap tickets, but then usually by halftime, the game kind of empties out because the Nuggets are winning. And so you can kind of do this thing where you can edge your way forward. Now, am I alone here? Anyone else done this at a ball game? Okay. So the, you know, the seats, they're, they're all empty. Nobody's sitting there, right? So it's, it's uh, after halftime, it's kind of third quarter. And you just, the key is, I, I don't encourage this, okay? And I really don't know that I should ever do this again. But what, what, what I did was just sort of walked very confidently um, straight past the guy, this is the person who's checking tickets. They stopped checking tickets by the third quarter or so. So you just kind of, you just kind of, you know, have your drink, looking around like you're looking for a friend. You're like, oh, you pull one of these, you know, and you just go and you sit down. And, and, but the worst thing in the world is when you do that, and then they come up to you and say, excuse, excuse me, sir, can, can I see your ticket, please? And then you, and which has happened um, the second time I tried this. Um, and, and uh, you know, I had to sort of say, yeah, my, my seats are actually up there. But it's my birthday today. You know, no. <laughs> Just, it didn't work. Um, but, but that is kind of one of the, the most hu- humiliating things is you, you sort of act like you belong somewhere. And then you get told to take the seat at the back. Uh, this is kind of the situation that sets up these series of of stories that Jesus tells in the book of Luke. And really, uh, I think we can relate to this because this happens to us in church. 
We, we start coming to church uh, maybe when we first come to Christ, maybe when we first are, are in the faith, and we're, we're pretty humble folk. You know, we, we understand, hey, man, I don't really, you know, there's always the, well, I, you know, I'm a new Christian. I mean, I don't really know. And, and you're always deferring to someone else. You're like, oh, well, you know, what do you think? And, oh, you know, I just, no, I'm just, you know. And, and then gradually something happens. You, you become mature, mature. You know, you, you, you grow and you become a leader and you get involved and you have responsibilities. And, and, and then you sort of develop an attitude of a little bit like, hey, you know, I, I think I deserve this. I mean, uh, where's my water bottle? Uh, room temperature, please. You know, I was at a conference earlier this week, uh, Craig Dunnigan, and, and uh, we, it was one of the guys that helped uh, sponsor it. And so we were there to lead worship and I was speaking and all this stuff. And and we check in, and, and sometimes these events are funny, but they gave us this big old badge that said, not my name, but the word talent. <laughs> what? So here's your badge, Glenn. Thanks for being here. Real excited to hear you speak tonight. Uh, here's your badge. It says talent, you know. And then they proceeded to tell me that this badge will get me in anywhere I needed to be. As in where? You know, like the green room, the bathroom, you know what? And, uh, and it's just, it's funny because we've built into our culture, and maybe it's the, the influence of, of uh, the, the business world, I don't know what it is, but we've sort of adopted something like this in church where we sort of feel that the longer you've been around, then maybe you deserve more, maybe you've been entitled to more. Uh, Greg is, is fond of saying, don't, don't confuse honor with privilege. We want to honor the people who serve and the people who've been around a long time. We want to honor those who are faithful but that doesn't necessarily, that doesn't equate uh, privilege, or it doesn't mean you, 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 you get stuff. Well, here we are in this story, and Jesus, earlier in Luke 14, has just come out of healing again on the Sabbath. Now, why does Jesus keep doing this? Nick, if you would just kind of bring it up, the lights up just a little bit. I'm having trouble seeing my friends here, like Dan O'Brien, for example. I know you're here, Dan, but I just can't see your face. Uh, unless we have a light out, that may be the case. Um, so, so, so Jesus has just healed again on the Sabbath and, and uh, is, is, you know, uh, gotten himself in trouble again because everybody's kind of upset and they're saying, hey, well, you can't do this. And, you can't. and Jesus starts to tell the story. Verse 7, when Jesus noticed how the guests sought out the best seats at the table, he told them a parable. When someone invites you to a wedding celebration, don't take your seat in the place of honor Someone more highly regarded than you could have been invited by your host. The host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give your seat to this other person. Embarrassed, you will take your seat in the least important place. Instead, when you receive an invitation, go and sit in the least important place. Excuse me, is that right? Yeah. And when your host approaches you, he will say, friend, move up here to a better seat. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. What is Jesus saying here? If we were to say a phrase from this first part of the story that Jesus is telling, we would say, I would suggest maybe this phrase, don't assume high status. But you see, he's not just, this is not just generic advice for when you go to a dinner party. Uh, in fact, he says, look, this is a parable. So if it is a parable, then this isn't just simply good advice about good manners when you're invited to a banquet. No, this is meant to say something larger to us. And Jesus is saying, okay, well, don't assume high status. 
with what? With life? With when I'm at the gas pump? Or when I'm with what? One of the questions that was on the minds of the Jews of Jesus' day was who is the true Jew? Who's the one that's devout? I'm told, I haven't been to Israel, but I'm told that in some sense that that is still the question being asked. Who shows themselves to be true? And in Jesus' day, this was no different because, of course, the Jewish people have come through a tremendous amount of ups and downs. We have uh, the, the, the division of the kingdom after Solomon, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. We've got Israel being taken by the Assyrians in 722. We've got Judah being taken by Babylon in 587, 584, somewhere around there, three different invasions. They've, they've been overrun and overrun and overrun, and finally they make it back and they rebuild. But not long after comes this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, who creates this terrible desecration of the temple and slaughters a pig. And there's this tremendous uh, uprising that develops against this guy. It's the revolt of the Maccabees, the Maccabean revolt. If you have a Bible that has the Apocrypha in it, you would have some of these stories in there. We don't necessarily consider them inspired scripture, but we do consider them trustworthy stories. Uh, It's safe to say that Jesus and all of his friends were very well acquainted with these stories. And so here now they are finally living under the oppress- an, an oppression of the Roman rule. And the question is, who are the guys that are good enough? And so you have one of these groups of people, the Pharisees, that are saying, well, of course, it's got to be us. Because look how good we are at observing the law. We're so good, we won't even violate the Sabbath. And all the things that Jews were not allowed to do when Antiochus Epiphanes was in charge, all the things they were not allowed to do, keep the Sabbath, follow their dietary restrictions, all of those things became all the more important when they could do it. And they began to say, hey, you will not get us down. Kind of a feeling that we hear expressed on a day like today. A feeling of, a sentiment of resilience of, hey, we're going to rise, we're going to stick it in your face, we're going to observe Sabbath, we're going to do all these things just to show you that we can't be kept down. But it became eventually a, a, a way of saying, we've got status, we've got status, we are the ones. And so Jesus has just come out of this moment where the Pharisees are saying, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Healing on the Sabbath. Don't be disregarding things here. This is a big deal. Jesus tells them this parable perhaps to say, don't assume that you're the ones with high status. Don't assume that you've, you've kept some good superiority here. Now skip down with me, if you will, down to verse 15. When one of the dinner guests heard Jesus' remarks, he said to Jesus, Happy are those who will, who will feast in God's kingdom. Je- and because Jesus has just told him, Look, when you have a banquet, invite the lame, invite the crippled. Uh, instead, you will be repaid when the just are resurrected. And so he says, Oh, well, happy are those who will feast in God's kingdom. This is so great. This is going to be something future. And Jesus replied, A certain man hosted a large dinner and invited many people. And when it was time for the dinner to begin, he sent his servant to tell the invited guests, come, the dinner is now ready. One by one, they all began to make excuses. The first one told him, I bought a farm and must go to see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I bought 
five teams of oxen and I'm going to check on them. Please excuse me. And another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And when he returned, the servant reported these excuses to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go quickly to the city's streets, the busy ones and the side streets, and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. The servant answered, Master, your instructions have been followed and there is still room. The master said to the servant, Go to the highways and the back alleys and urge people to come in so that my house will be filled. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will taste my dinner. Now, it's a curious way to end this parable because if they've declined and they've said, Look, I'm too busy. Well, of course they're not going to taste his dinner. So it seems like an odd thing to say. Why say to them, oh, you're not coming? Well, then you won't have any birthday cake. You know, and it's just like, well, yeah, well, I knew that when I said I wasn't going to come. And I, I can't help but wonder if there's an implication in this, in this text, in this parable here, of the people who were saying to the, to the host of the party, hey, um, yeah, we can't make it tonight, but, you know, we'll catch the next one maybe. And maybe part of what Jesus is saying is not just don't assume high status, but don't presume good standing. Don't think that you've got a standing reservation here that you can just pop in when you feel like, and if it doesn't work, hey, I'm out, i got to do this, but hey, we'll be back. Kind of like the fast pass at Disney World. You know, you just put your ticket in, you get the pass, and you show up an hour later and get to cut to the front of the line, you know, which we did this week. Um, separate. Rabbit trail. Don't, don't presume good standing. Now, what is at the heart of all of these things that Jesus is saying? Could it be that the point is this, that you have a seat at the table of the king, not because of your high status and not because of your good standing, but because of the generosity of the king? That your seat at the table is not because of your good status, a high standing, however we can flip those words, that gives you a seat at the king's table, but it's the king's generosity. And maybe at the heart of this story is Jesus saying, what do you think gives you a right to be here? Do you think you've earned it? Do you think you're good enough? Do you think you've got the status? Do you think you've got the standing? Do you think... All will be fine when the time comes. I'm here to tell you it's not about your status or your standing, but the enormous, enormous generosity of the king. Throughout the scriptures, there is this theme of, of feasts and dinner tables, and that really makes me happy because uh, in my childhood, fasting was emphasized a, a lot, and I tried repeatedly to be good at fasting, but then I discovered that the Bible's full of feasting as well, and this I thought I could get behind. But table imagery is there throughout the Scriptures. There is, uh, Bonhoeffer talks about at least three angles of a table feast. He talks about the daily Christian fellowship, like Greg was saying. What if we go out to eat after this? Go grab some yogurt. Go grab a red robin or a sandwich at Jason's. Whatever. You know, that's the, the daily Christian fellowship. Now you're all hungry. Stay with me. But then there is this sacred table of the Lord, the communion table fellowship, where we come to the table and we say, God, thank you that you have forgiven us in Christ. Thank you for your body and your blood. 
And then there is this future banquet that Jesus is talking about. It's this one day, look, we heard it in the Old Testament reading tonight. God's saying to the prophet Isaiah, look, I'm going to gather people on my mountain from near and far. They're all going to come and it's going to be a feast. People are going to come that you didn't think were going to be there. Get ready. There's a feast coming. I would suggest to you that every time you think of a meal, all three of those things actually come to play. That when Christians sit and eat together, we aren't just sitting and eating together. We are remembering Christ. And when we remember Christ, we're not just doing communion. We're also thinking of this one final day that there will be a great feast, a banquet. But our participation in that feast, it's not because of your status or your good standing. It's because of the generosity of the king. What that means then is We never come to this place where we can, we can say, well, you know, I've, I've, I've got it, Lord. Thanks. I've, um, I sort of, I'll take it from here, you know? So often I think in our, in our Christian life, we, um, we have maybe a bit of the, the mentality of, okay, Lord, thanks for your grace. That was then. Where would I be if not for grace? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I got it now. Pretty good. I've developed some good disciplines. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. And there's something in this story that says to us, don't ever think that we've earned enough standing or status that the seat is ours because of that. It's not. There's a generous king who's given this to us. And we never, we never shake our dependence on his generosity. We never shake our, de- our dependence of that. We never come to the point where we say, hey, God, wow, you helped me when I was down. Now I can take it from here. One of our favorite American mythologies is the story of the legendary guy who was down and out and broke, and somebody believed in him, and then he took it from there. Believe me, I heard it till I was sick of it at Disney this week. The story of Walt and how he did this and how he did this. And it's the most amazing. And there is, look, it was wonderful for our kids. There's things that was great about it. But there's also this American mythology embedded in it that says, look, all you need was just a little help to get from here to here. And then you're the world's greatest inventor ever. And all your dreams can come true if you believe in the dream inside of you, you know. Oh, Lord. And this is sometimes how we think about the king and his table. As if to say, thanks, Lord, for bringing me to this table, but I've got it from here. All right. Who's come to my party? We never forget that Jesus is the host. He's the king that says, go to the highways and the byways. Call them all. All who know that they have nothing. All who recognize that they're poor and crippled. and lame. All the ones who were unexpected, uninvited All the ones everybody else overlooked, go tell them because they'll recognize they've done nothing to earn this. But to the ones who say, oh, I've got it, I'm good, thanks, Lord, you know, it doesn't work. But you know, there's this other section of verses wedged in between these two parables. Verse 14 of Luke 14. Starting in verse 12. 
Then Jesus said to the person who had invited him, When you host a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends and your brothers and sisters, relatives or rich neighbors. They're like, good, I didn't want to hang out with my family anyway. No, it's good. If you do, they will invite you in return, and that will be your reward. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, crippled, lame, blind, all the ones that society says don't belong, don't fit in, don't deserve it, aren't worthy, aren't good enough, aren't smart enough, aren't successful enough, are failures, are too poor, are too weak. And you will be blessed because they can't repay you. Instead, you will be repaid when the just are resurrected. When you are humble before God, you begin to be humble toward others. Something happens inside of us when we say, you know what, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't deserve the seat at the table. I, this is, I, I didn't do it. This is, the king asked us that he's the host, and he gave me a seat. When you are humble toward God, before God, something begins to happen it shows up in the way that you are with others. You become humble toward others. Do you know why I think that is? I think it's because when you look at the poor and the powerless, you see yourself in them. If you don't see yourself in them to begin with, then they will always be those people. They will always be an us and a them. There will always be, well, yeah, but that's, yeah, that's, you know. But if you recognize that we are all the beggars outside the banqueting room, that the king said, come on in, come on in, come on in. Then we begin, when we see others like that, we say, you know what? You remind me just of myself. I'm just as needy as you. I mean, imagine if that were your attitude towards people who are not in church. Because how easy is it for us to take the attitude of like, well, well, you, you know, I mean, they're the unregenerate, you know, so they don't know. <laughs> well, with, you know, they're like, you know, they're, yeah, you, well, my, I've been talking to my neighbor and he, you know, he's, he doesn't do anything with his trash. But you know, he's a heathen. <laughs> so what? So heathens don't take out their trash? Or, you know. And we develop a kind of patronizing thing that we sort of, oh, well, yeah, yeah well, that's, they don't know the Lord. What if you believed, you really believed that you don't have any status, that you don't have any standing of your own, that the only reason you're sitting at the king's table is because of the generosity of the king? And when you see others who are messed up in their lives. You don't say, well, uh, you know, I mean, that's what happens when you don't know the Lord. But you say, you know what? That's me. That's me. Maybe not literally, but you see yourself in that. So you're talking with a person who's made a mess of their marriage. You say, well, you know, I mean, that's what happens when you live according to the world. Or, you know, I was like that, 
That was me. That could have been me. Man, that could have been me. That could have been my story. And you start to be humble toward others because there's a humility before God. That the one is connected to the other. That the only way we are humble toward others is because we're humble before God. In fact, if we're not humble before God, when you are arrogant before God, you tend to be arrogant toward others. When you are arrogant before God, you tend to be arrogant toward others. To say, oh, come on, get it together. Why can't they do this? It's so heartbreaking to me the amount of times Christians dismiss people and chalk it up to personal responsibility. Well, they made those choices. I'm just glad I didn't. When of all people, we should be the ones that say, oh God, I'm just like that. I'm just this, look, look, that could have been me. And maybe I didn't do that, but I've, Jesus is the, Jesus turns all of this on his head by, by, by saying, okay, look, you've heard don't commit adultery. I'm saying don't even lust. Anybody clean of that? You've heard don't murder. I'm telling you, if you develop hatred, you're, you belong in the same company. Whoa, whoa, God, whoa, hey, hey, whoa. I have a seat at the table. My name's engraved. They are, mm-mm. Really? It's worth saying that maybe if you are arrogant, if you find yourself being arrogant toward another, it's worth asking yourself if you are arrogant before God. This is just, this is, I think, something that happens to me, something that happens to us on a daily basis, maybe weekly basis, where we, you respond to someone and you're a real short or curt or frustrated, you know, irritable or whatever. You think, gee, oh, Lord, why did I treat them like that? God, is it because, and maybe not always, but it's worth asking, God, is it because I think that I'm better than them? God, is it because I think I've earned more, deserve more, worthy of more? Have I forgotten that I too am a guest of the generosity of the king? Have I forgotten that? God, may I never forget that. One of the great mysteries of the gospel is not only is Jesus the host of the banquet, but he's the guest. Part of the reason we can be humble toward others is not only because we see ourselves in them, but guess what? We see Christ in them. Now this is, whoa, this is like, hey, whoa, I'm not sure about this. When I was, um, I don't know, I was probably 13 or 14 years old, there was this um, worship leader guy, Garrett Gustafson, you know, maybe Robert, you, you know that name, but he, he came to Malaysia, and um, he was talking at our church, and, and uh, I can't remember if this was over lunch or if this was in his talk, but he talked about visiting Mother Teresa, and at the time he worked for Hosanna, Hosanna Integrity, when they made their tapes, and you know, and so... He, he, in talking with Mother Teresa, one of his first gestures of kindness was to offer her a cassette tape of their praise and worship music. 
And, uh, you know, you laugh, Stephen, but it was a very kind thing to offer. And, and, and she politely declines and says, we don't have tape players here. And, you know, he's thinking, well, I can get you one, you know. And she says, no, 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 this is by choice. We, we don't have tape players here because we don't want any distractions from the children. Oh, okay, well, now he's feeling, you know, open mouth, insert foot, you know. See, I've got to redeem myself somehow. So he says, okay, hey, Mother Teresa, I'll do the question asking. Uh, what do you think worship is? And she says, I find the least of these, and I treat them like I would treat Jesus. Now that is convicting. Because that means I'm humble toward others, not because I'm so good, because I see Christ there. And so my worship begins to shape everything. But I'm telling you, this whole thing begins with the humility before God. With the humility that's willing to say, how did I get to this table? How did I get to this feast? It's the generosity of the king. He's the host but he's also the guest. How is it we can take the risks to do what Greg said and meet people and invite others into our homes? You know, maybe you, you, maybe you stair-step it. It's like frozen yogurt one week, then it's like Jason's Deli the next week, you know, and then you're like, hey, should we have them over to our house? I don't know. I mean, okay, they seem pretty normal, you know, and you have them over here. How is it you can do that? Because Christ is in them. And what you are doing to them, you are doing for Christ. There is no way to talk about table fellowship without seeing Christ at the center. It's Christ who reminds us that we are all his guests. He is the host. It's Christ who reminds us that he is also the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And so our humility before God leads us to humility toward others. Let's pray. One of the reasons we confess our sins every week is not so we can be downers. It's so Christ can remain the center. It's so our pain doesn't become Lord, but Jesus becomes Lord. It's so that we remember that but for God's graciousness toward us in Christ, Where would we be? But the amazing announcement that Jesus is making is not only is there a table and a feast, but the host is generous. So generous that he's opened it up to all. 
The only ones who miss it are the ones who cling to their own status, hope in their own good standing. Tonight, if, you've, if you're thinking about this and you're saying, you know, I, I guess I sort of thought this uh, Jesus thing was about me proving something, earning something, showing something. Maybe this is a night to say, God, thank you for the generosity of the King. Thank you for a seat at your table. Saying yes. Probably for most of us, the challenge is going to come in how we think and how we relate toward others. To say, God, how am I acting toward others? Do I act like I'm better? Like I've earned the seat? Am I like those dudes inhibiting people from being healed on the Sabbath? Am I standing in the way of Messiah's generosity? Because of my own pride? I'm going to let you just sit for a moment and think. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Father, thank you that you are a gracious and generous God. Thank you that you prepared a table. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to announce it. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for clinging to our status and our good standing, trusting in our efforts. All we want to say tonight is thank you. Thank you for the table. Thank you for calling us to your table to eat with you, to drink with you, to feast with you. Thank you. God, make us, make us as the church of Jesus, make us a people who are generous with others. May we eat together and drink together and laugh together and enjoy a generous love toward each other because of your generous love toward us. And every time we do, may we do so remembering Christ. It's in his name that we pray. And everybody said, amen.